0: hello everyone and welcome to spiral out podcast where we dive deep into the minds and experiences of artists creators painters musicians movie makers uh on today's episode we have the pleasure of speaking with jeff nantrup everybody knows the nantrup poster uh night one tools two nights in la but his talents uh, extend far beyond that remarkable piece Jeff is a multi-talented artist whose portfolio includes fine art, commercial work, film. He worked on Magic the Gathering cards, he's done movie posters, Uh, he even uh, did a collaboration with NASA on a futuristic space program. Uh, His work is really nothing short of breathtaking. His unique perspective on the world will leave you feeling inspired and odd. I know by the end of this episode, I was I was definitely inspired. So join us today as we explore Jeff's journey as an artist, his creative process, what drives him uh, to explore such complex and fascinating subjects. You know, from the vast expanses of space to uh, current Western art to everything else. So sit back, relax, and prepare to spiral out with Jeff Antrop But before that, there's some cool stuff coming up. There's a benefit show that Primus is doing. I will be there. Uh, and around hopefully talking to fans of both the show and obviously Primus Danny Carey and Justin Chancellor are going to be there uh, we've got some other cool artists and people coming up on the podcast some very exciting people Kyle Sharp couple musicians coming on hopefully uh, so stay tuned for all of that again thank you for listening and spiral out my friends
1: It's yeah, I mean, feel free to ask, man. I mean, I, you know, I do kind of fly under the radar a bit for a number of reasons. And uh, I, you know, kind of been having a a fairly low profile existence, uh, at least in terms of social media and stuff recently. Um, But you know, the just of it is I have a fine art world and an illustration world. And sometimes I, I don't. I try to avoid intermingling the two, so, but feel free, man. I'll, I'm happy to talk about anything. I don't care. Cool.
0: First of all, cool. thank you for coming on. This is a big one. For My me. pleasure. It's a real big one for me. Uh,
1: My pleasure. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here.
0: So first, right off the bat, uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to Spiral Out Podcast. I'm your host, Chris West, and on today's show, we have Jeff Nantrip. <sighs> hello. Did I say it right?
1: <laughs> Yes, Nantrop.
0: Nantrop. He's a fine art painter, illustrator, designer. You've done stuff in movies. You've you've pretty much dabbled in a little bit of everything, it seems like. I would like to, you know, I usually start with the tool stuff and then kind of progress out of there. So we can get started there if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Sounds great. So you did the, uh, was it night one or night two of that L.A. show?
1: I believe it was night one, if I remember correctly.
0: I was at that show. uh, <laughs> uh I read somewhere that you were there as well. Yes, I was. That's got to been a trip, right?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm definitely a surreal moment, you know, to sort of be in the, the house of Kobe Bryant. and uh, Right, <laughs> I mean, I was there for, you know, their game seven uh, win against the Celtics in 2010 when they won their last championship. And they just retired Kobe's jerseys. And I remember sort of standing there, you know, my wife and I were guests in Adams row next to the CEO of Gibson guitars and (laughs) looking up at Kobe's recently retired jerseys. And, uh, you know, seeing people walking around Staples Center with my art on their chest. uh, Cool. Pretty cool feeling.
0: It's gonna be a, a very surreal experience. I forgot that he he had ju- he had just died. Like,
1: no, no, not yet. Or uh, he had just was... retired. Yeah, just
0: before he he had passed. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm trying to remember where I sat there. Uh, somewhere towards the back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, we, were, we were close enough that after the show, Adam told me he could see us. <laughs> oh, that's wild.
0: <laughs> and uh, so you. Um, you went to school with Corin and was uh Sean there and 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 um, you guys kind of all went to school together, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, met Corin at art center. Um you know, years ago and and yeah, Sean Cheatham, Natalia Fabia. That's right. uh Fair and Loathing, uh, another tool poster artist. Um I met my my wife there, Sonia Palencia. Um so yeah, just a, you know, a, a really great Community of painters and we're all still very close. Sean's my neighbor now. We've been in a band together for, you know, I don't know, ever.
0: I really like that guy.
1: He's amazing. Uh, yeah, one of my, my best friends in the world.
0: So the tool poster. Um, uh, I mean, let's start off with, you know, concept and design. I I heard it was directly influenced by the song Numa.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Um, um I mean, let's see, I'm trying to remember. I think uh, in 2019, we were, um, we were at Adam and Corinne's for like, sort of end of the summer barbecue. And, uh, he asked me if I'd like to do one of the pieces I've been a, a fan for, you know, over 30 years now. And of course leapt at the opportunity, you know, it's a huge honor. So he's like, all right, we'll all have the management get in touch with you this week. So I think by, I think it was around Thursday, they reached out and, uh, you know, we hammered out the negotiation, and they they said that uh, if there's a certain show you'd like to, you know, have the poster featured in, let us know. I said, "Is LA available?" You know, I'm I'm from LA, and my parents were from LA. L, Tools in LA band, uh, and they said, "Yeah," except you know, the only thing is I would need you know something by Monday of next week. And I had already decided that I wanted to do an original piece of art for this and uh, not, you know, just sort of license something that I'd already had. But, you know, hey, I've been I've been in the business a long time and that's not an unusual turnaround for an illustration project. So, uh, you know, I hammered out the details on Thursday. I sat down on Friday, came up with the idea of what I wanted to do, painted it Saturday and Sunday, had it photographed Monday morning and off to their management in time to meet the deadline. Um, so it was, a, it was a really quick one. So let's get
0: into the actual creation of the design. You say it was a Thursday, right? You sat down You're, you're listening to, I'm guessing, um, the new album at the time. Yeah. It just came yeah. out. Because uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a striking figure, in my opinion. Um, Thank you. It's, I don't know. I say this to every artist, but I mean it uh, when I talk about different uh, tool artists it seems very different than everything else. But I think that was the point for this last couple of tours Uh getting so many different artists is to have so much different stuff, but specifically this one, it rings very, um, I don't know. It rings something. And that would just with me, but a ton of collectors, I don't know if you know about how popular this specific poster is, but um, it's, it hits some nerves. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I, I do have a, an idea. I've, you know, been hit up by a lot of the fans in the interviewing years. And, uh, you know, it, it's pretty humbling to, to still see the, you know, the unsigned poster, you know, $2,000 on eBay. And yeah. uh, I still get people reaching out asking me if I have any left.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so again, how did you like tell me what the process was of creating this, this person is being and what sure. was the idea behind it.
1: Well, you know, I, I sort of loosely had the idea that I wanted to do something that was, um, you know, more of a a simple motif, you know, kind of an iconic uh, presentation rather than something, you know, complex or like a, a whole scene, um, you know, sort of a solitary figure with, you know, some added interest. And, uh, you know, as I was listening to the record, that song stood out for me, um, just con- mostly conceptually there's a lot of great, you know, lyrical ideas. And, you know, of course this is me interpreting somebody else's art, but, you know, there's a lot of um, ideas in there, you know, wake up, release the light. Um, You know, there's a line that says bound to this flesh, this guise, this mask, this dream. Um, So some of that was a nod to, you know, Though Just those ideas and my interpretation of that. Um, now, OK, here we go, because I've, I've had a lot of people ask me about this piece and what does it mean? And um, I've always been a, a big, ardent believer that we should be able to create our own ideas Agreed. about things. And, uh, 100%. You know, so I, I will talk about what it means to me, but you know, some people think it's Danny and it's, you know, <laughs> I didn't intend that. I, I guess <laughs> so, I can see now that you say
0: it, maybe <laughs> somewhere in the cheek and nose. <laughs> hey, if it's Danny to you, then
1: I don't want to disturb that. You know, that's totally fine. I've uh, never so, thought
0: of that until you said it right now. <laughs>
1: yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of interesting stories, you know, about what it means to different people. And uh, again, I'm, I'm fine with that. And you know, this again, I'm responding to my interpretation of somebody else's art, you know, their lyrics, their music. Uh, and I may not be right, but to me it was this idea of like, you know, the moment somebody tra- passes from life to death or to afterlife. And um, you know, this mask being our body, uh, being, you know, our our spirit, you know, the, the intern between our physical and spiritual selves. So um you know that was kind of the gist of it. I I had taken some pictures of the the death mask of uh, Theodore Gericault, who's a French painter from the 19th century. Uh, death mask, if anybody doesn't know, is a, a practice they used to, to do in Europe, where uh, immediately after somebody had passed, they would you know basically take a plaster casting of their face and preserve that. It's called a death mask, yeah. um, and it was a real interesting idea to me. This you know this painter, he was. Famous for this um, painting called the The Raft of the Medusa, about a shipwreck and um, you know just kind of a tragic event, and uh, you know this death mass really kind of symbolized that moment for me that, that tied very closely. So I based the painting off of that. You know he's sort of shrouded, almost like a a shaman or you know some kind of spiritual figure, uh, which is is more metaphoric, more symbolic um and then you know i used the geometry around the piece as a way of sort of symbolizing um that particular moment of somebody's death and entering into the next phase so it's almost a celestial clock if you will okay um, and at the time i had read somewhere um adam was talking about the number 7 had figured prominently into the writing of the record um i'm guessing in Time signatures, or you know, arrangement structures, or you know, God knows what goes through those guys' brains swear, swear <laughs> again whole music. You know, it could um, be like so
0: seven anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's seven points, you know, uh, graphically on that uh, as a, a nod to the band and the record. Um, but that, in a nutshell, is kind of you know what it means to me and what it was meant to embody. Um.
0: That, that, so I asked online, I do this uh, before any interview, and the number one question I got is was exactly what you just explained is what specifically did those seven dots mean?
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was great because I actually had a chance, you know, um, after that sample show, it was the first time I'd actually seen the poster and I was uh, surprised at, you know, the beautiful foil that it was on. I had no idea that. They were going to, you know, be going that direction, and it was just a gorgeous print. And um, you know, Adam, he was showing it to me, and and uh, he, you know, I was like explaining him. I had no idea it was going to be this foil thing. And he goes, "Oh yeah, I, I actually went into Photoshop and selected out the whites and sent it to the printer that way." And i was just blown away. I mean, I had no idea he was that involved in, you know, hands-on in the process of these. And uh, and he kind of looks at me and he goes, "I like the seven dots." <laughs> of course he did I was like like, oh you caught that he goes yeah of course (laughs) Um,
0: and it must be nice to have like I mean a personal relationship too uh, when it comes to something like this it's a little bit more enjoyable I guess than maybe some more commercial stuff where you don't even really meet the people in person that you're working with
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a huge honor, you know, uh, to be trusted with it. You know, I mean, Adams, I've known him for a while now. He's just such a great guy. I mean, you know, I don't have to tell anybody listening that these guys are uh, supporters of the arts and artists, unlike nobody else in the business. It's unheard
0: of, in my opinion, like music to art, how much they just push other people up.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's a, a direct result of Adam being an artist himself. You know, he's a fantastic sculptor and and uh, artist in his own right uh, outside of music. You know, Corinne is phenomenal. She always has been. I remember her, you know, walking around as a student with her paint box and, um, you know, just you, as a painter, you always kind of knew which people were painters, uh, you know, versus the people that were, you know, having to take painting and drawing classes as a prerequisite, um, you know, and, Th- those guys are definitely very very tied to the arts so
0: everybody is that knows tool knows that you know they again we're talking about the art but they have they seem to have a very specific at times direction did you feel like uh, any responsibility to keep it like a certain level or keep it at a certain tone or anything like um, that
1: I didn't really. I mean, you know, Adam's charge for me was just, you know, whatever you want, really, you know, um, anything goes. And, uh, you know, that was a great idea to be presented with. I mean, they're um, they have a certain aesthetic, obviously. And I think, you know, I would assume that, you know, some of that in terms of who Adam was asking to be, uh, you know, the poster artist for this had to factor into that, you know, he he was pretty familiar, but having said that there's a lot, there's a a great range of stuff, some stuff that I would have never expected. And I think they make really beautiful posters. Yeah. So, um, I think that is kind of inherent in the amount of, uh, you know, different work that they've gotten on these tours.
0: So we're going to talk about remarks now, because (laughs) your yours are like the, um, I don't know. There's like, I'd say four or five artists, um that everybody talks about when it comes to remarks. And I don't know if it's pronounced remarks or remark A's, but
1: uh, uh I call t- it remarks. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um
0: your specific design lended uh so much, it seems like spe- yours and Sean's I've seen um do some very creative and wonderful things that you could do like anything with because it's you know you put hands in there you can do this Sean uh, you know with the skull did yeah. so much with his as well um yeah was this the first time you've you know been asked to do something like this or like what was your experience uh, remarking and learning how to do that and whatnot
1: well yeah I mean um, you know most of, most of my work is uh, either commercial or fine art in nature. So I'm I'm typically either working directly with and for a client for a paycheck, or I'm completely on my own doing whatever I want. So this was a new experience for me, you know, entering the whole poster, especially the the wild aftermarket. I you know was not quite prepared for that, um, but uh, I you know in doing a little bit of research and, and you know finding my feet, I realized that the doodling was a big part of you know a very coveted thing yeah. particularly you know if you landed in Adam doodle or something like yeah. that uh and then just you know looking around and seeing what some other artists had done and um you know they were fairly simple for the most part um so the you know the my foray into that was getting ready to um sell a batch of my posters online and um this i think this was like december 2019 so you know shortly after the the poster had come out and I was just, you know, there was a, a, a high demand for them. So I wanted to get a small batch out. So I, I sold about, I don't know, 10 or 12 of them. And I decided to do a quick doodle on about three of them. And I wasn't, you know, it was the night before I was going to sell them. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was just like, oh, he would look cool with some hands, I think. And, you know, let me just look look for some, you know, some other elements that I could, you know, just use to create some interest. And again, I was keen a little bit off of the lyrics, you know, Maynard's talking about this spark. And uh, I ended up, you know, using lightning bolts as an element on a lot of my remarks and stuff directly from that. Um, but yeah, it really happened sort of the night before it was like, oh, let's do some hands. I could do a whole series out of that. So there is somewhere out there, there's three different posters with these gold hands that I drew, you know, rather quickly, um, did all three of them, you know, right then and there. And, uh, it wasn't until after that, when, you know, I had a chance to kind of slow down a little bit and figure things out then I decided like, okay, well, let me make a thing out of this, Um, you know, get some, some paint pens and spend a little more time, you know, then the hands went blue and I started thinking about, you know, all the different things I could do with that, Um, which is, you know, pretty endless.
0: Yeah. I think uh, my favorite one you did is the one with Adam Jones's guitar.
1: Uh, Oh, cool. Yeah.
0: That one was (laughs) awesome. I've seen it, you know, (laughs) dozens of them. Uh, One holding, the tool, tool, you know, the like dick tool. Yeah, yeah that one's great. Uh, like you said, lightning hands. I haven't seen the gold hands yet.
1: Um, yeah, there's got those a few of them have, out there. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen
0: those ones yet. Um, is that the only poster you've done for any band?
1: Yes, I think so. Um, I've done, you know, I've designed some music videos and I've done um, some album covers and even an animation video for, um, an electronic artist, Um, so, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but yeah, it was my first concert poster. Would you do another one? Yeah. In a heartbeat.
0: Fair enough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what I like about it. I like the texture. It looks like somebody threw it through the ringer. And, you know, so I re I like to get the poster of the people I'm interviewing. Um, and especially because I went to that show, I mm-hmm. and I might cut this out, but uh, it was a son of a bitch <laughs> to get this one. Um, but just seeing it in person, there's like the marks towards the bottom right that almost look like scratches and this and that. And yeah, I, I really yeah. enjoy that kind of texture. I don't know why. Um, it just feels realer to me. Plus, the figure is just cool. Uh, I have this whole thing. It reminds me of Indiana Jones. I don't know, you know, but
1: uh can't go wrong there. Yeah, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah, I know. mean the um, you know the the noise and texture was definitely a conscious choice. Um I mean I I opted to to do the piece as an oil painting. In fact, okay. you can sort of see it hanging up on the wall there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, so there is definitely some inherent texture in, in the brushwork and then just the way the the painting actually translates into printing, you get a bit of noise. And, uh, you know, when I was putting the the graphic elements on top, um, there was a, a conscious effort to sort of leave some of that visual noise as a, you know, a device. And then it, it interpreted in the print really interesting, especially where, you know, there's some spots where that foil comes through. Yeah. They look like sparks, and and uh, you know gives the piece a little bit of motion. Um, I've I've always been a big fan of that in my work. You know, a, if you're painting a scene, add a couple of birds, or you know, a wisp of smoke here and there. You know, turn the lights on, put some you know smoke coming out of the chimney, something you know, just to kind of give a little bit of sense of motion to a piece.
0: Was there any remarks that you turned down? Or you're like, I'm not doing that. I know the fans can be somewhat pushy when it comes to those things.
1: Um, Um, you know, honestly, not really. I mean, I, I, um, I was pretty pleased with everybody's suggestions and, you know, I approached this whole endeavor as a fan myself. Uh, you know, I saw tool on Lollapalooza in 93. I was like 16 years old or 17 years old or something. So I've been a fan for a long, long time. I used to go to the small clubs around LA and see them after that 94, 95. And, uh, that you know, from the onset of this, I definitely just wanted to to do something that I would want to see and get excited about as a fan. And then, as I've been engaging with people for remark requests and things like that, um, just very much in service of their ideas. Um, and nobody had anything that was you know not uninteresting or um, you know uh, you know not.
0: you mean nobody asked you to put big bat wings behind them or anything
1: (laughs) no no everybody was pretty cool and you know that's also a nice thing in terms of the collaboration a lot of them were very personal and i was all for that you know take take something that is personal and make it even more so um you know, I've had some really interesting from, you know, some some sailors that wanted a nautical theme. to there was a detective in Australia that we did a really cool piece. that had his badge and his gun, and his standard what? issue weapon. And, That's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was great. And he was like, if you're ever down this way, I'll, I'll give you a ride along. I was like, I might have to take you up on. Right. That. I will Class. do that in a heartbeat,
0: especially <laughs> yeah. in Australia.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, I know people out most- you know, wanted their personal, you know, numbers that were significant to them included in the piece and, and things like that. There were a couple that were, you know, maybe a little on the nose. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I had to try to find a way to just to squeeze out some interest for myself, you know. Sure. Um, but, yeah, no, nothing that was rejected.
0: That's awesome. it's, it's very, I mean, again, me and you have not talked before, right? So right. I'm always really excited when the artist i'm talking about or talking with is also excited about what they're doing um because it seems to go both ways where you know i've talked to artists that are just overworked (laughs) you know yeah you know they're coming on here and they're doing me a favor for sure and uh i always feel for them like but it's again it's always refreshing and you're like you seem so excited and it's it's really really uh like i said refreshing and comforting and it,
1: it, oh, I appreciate that. And it, it, yeah, I'm definitely overworked, but I mean, I, <laughs> well, it, it,
0: I, I will say this uh, from the people that do listen to my podcast, whenever there's an artist like that on, they always say so. They're like, wow, he, he seems so nice. And it makes me like his art more.
1: Oh, that's cool. That's great. yeah um, I mean i I feel very, very lucky to be doing the work that I do. Uh, you know, i I love my job. I love what I do. It's you know uh, I I can draw and paint for a client for 10, 12 hours and then sit down and and paint something else to relax. And uh, you know that's a huge gift. and I don't take it for granted.
0: I almost don't know what to say to that. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I have one, one more question about the tool poster before we transition. Most tool posters have a haptogram somewhere. Um, I cannot find the one on yours if it exists.
1: Oh, you're talking about this, the stamp,
0: the, the, no, the star. Yeah. The star, like uh, I wish I could show you.
1: Yes. So uh, so on that particular print of 650 on that edition, they um, embossed, their, yeah. their heptagram logo on there.
0: So is uh, that what you're referring to? no. Um, and I get, so it's kind of like a where's Waldo with most posters, um, for years. And again, I, I've been trying to figure this out of whether or not they do it for every poster or just 90% of them. There is a, again, a, a heptagram logo, usually somewhere. Let me see if I can, um, hold on one second. You see his chest. Yeah. 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 So that star is usually on most posters, Um, whether or not. Sorry. Hold on. Hopefully let me get it back in focus. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yours was the one we nobody could find. Uh, And usually it's added afterwards, um, sometimes without the artist knowing, apparently. Uh, But Hmm. uh, he didn't do it to you. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well yeah i know that there's there was nothing added to my art it was pretty much the way i handed it to them um but i do know that there is an embossed yeah uh, on you know physically in the poster i sure. think which is for that particular edition was their way of uh you know an authenticity um, yeah
0: because now they do they do like a a, a sticker uh like okay. a, a shiny sticker and they used to emboss but yeah. This, yeah. Uh, other than that there is uh from going back to like 2000 I don't know 9 or 6 um they've had again most posters have a heptogram and and with collectors and fans it's kind of like a where's Waldo thing like (laughs) but uh you kind of just answered my question yeah (laughs) um so I'm going to kind of transition into your uh normal career You, you you do a lot of um god you do everything it seems like but uh I'm really curious about, um, the stuff you do in movies, uh, first, like you've done, I see on your Instagram, you did like the, my chemical romance background, um, uh, what, what are those called? Marquees?
1: Matte painting. Matt um, painting. and then I designed the scenic painting that, uh, was used in the sort of the background.
0: How often do you do those? Cause that's gotta
1: be huge, right? Yeah. Well, that, there was a team that painted that. So I just, I design it. And then, you know, they, they have a uh, production people that show up and actually do the physical set building. And, um, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, I mean, that particular job, I think it was around 2006, maybe. Um, yeah. I was contacted as a concept design artist and uh, you know, so was working with sam bayer the director you know he's famous music video director he directed the smells like teen spirit video and um you know bullet with butterfly wings for smashing smashing pumpkins and um trying to remember some others but yeah huge director and we had one of the same professors so we kind of hit it off and sat down he explained to me what he was looking for and you know so i go home and and do a bunch of of artwork. And, uh, you know, they, they sort of base the set off of that. And, um, yeah, like I said, design the scenic painting. And then, uh, I was down on set as well, getting to sort of see what was being built because, um, the guys that were doing the special effects had actually hired me after that to finish the map paintings. So, you know, they, they build a small portion of the set and then digitally create the rest of it. That looks like it goes on forever. So they don't have to build everything.
0: So how do you think you balance the needs uh, of like the client with your own artistic vision or is it, they hire you because of your uh, solid artistic vision, let's say.
1: Um, Well, you can get both extremes. I mean, sometimes you, you have a client coming to you for what you do and that's what they want. And then other times they want something way outside of your wheelhouse. And um, I think, you know, like when you're in art school, most people will tell you, you can kind of go one or two general ways. You can either diversify or specialize. Um, so specializing would be, you know, say for example, you paint apples and, uh, you know, you, that's all you paint. Your, your book is full of apples. When the Apple job comes along, you've, you should be able expected to to land that gig, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm a diversifier. So, you know, um, I was all through school and a hardcore oil painter and sort of fell into, you know, digital painting and and entertainment design right at the end in in my last semester. Um, I studied with Ryan Church, who was the uh, concept design supervisor on star Wars two and three at that time and um you wait, know wait, wait, we,
0: star wars episode two and three or uh yeah attack of the clones and revenge of the Sith. Gosh, i still like um, i'm just i'm just i'm just clarifying yeah. <laughs> i'm just clarifying which star wars we're talking about
1: yes yeah so it was around that time 2002 and uh you know i was talking to the to ilm about you know being a map painter on revenge of the sith and um you know wasn't quite ready to leave la um if you're Familiar with the Southern California. I was born and raised there. <laughs> I was, I, you know, my family's here. My, you know, my yeah. network. My, so I wasn't quite ready to to relocate up there, but um, but it it you know got me into the the field, the entertainment field, right out of school. And uh, you know, I had a professor of mine that was working with Warner Brothers Consumer Products doing uh, Harry Potter paintings. So he actually hired me right out of school, and uh, you know, we we ended up doing. 180 or so Harry Potter paintings for Warner brothers.
0: Now is this before Um, the movie came out?
1: That was like around, I think um, Harry Potter three or so. So there's already a uh,
0: kind of an aesthetic.
1: A a franchise. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, But, you know, landing a big gig like that and having all that work in my portfolio that landed me a, a good agent, and uh, you know, I kind of went right into the film and entertainment business, being here in LA, and and just sort of having a diversified skill set. Um, and one of my first jobs right out of school was doing the—I um, don't know if you saw the first Underworld film yeah, with uh, I was gonna, Kate Beckinsale. There's I was a scene. Ask you about it. She, there's a scene where she sits down and she's doing a uh, you know voiceover narrating the um, the history of the lichens and the werewolves, and there's these woodblock etchings uh, that are used to depict some of these key points in their history. So they, I did like, I don't know, two or three of those. And, uh, it was, it was kind of a trip to go see the film right when it came out. And, you know, these scenes were taking up the entire screen, 50 feet wide in the movie theater. And, uh,
0: yeah, that's insane. (laughs) I'm
1: I'm right out of school. And it was, you know, it was a bit of a, bit of a wake up call. You go, wow.
0: (laughs) You're like, I'm doing it. Right. Yeah. Like I'm getting it. i'm um, I'm always very curious. So, like you said, the Harry Potter thing was kind of already established. Have you helped design an aesthetic for a film from scratch that that had no art or no um, well art at all?
1: Like- yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, I was, um, I was one of the designers on the film dream girls uh, with, you know, Beyonce, yep. Eddie Murphy, Jamie Foxx. I did a bunch of work on that It was a totally different world, um, you know, to uh, doing a musical that was period set, you know, um, I worked on J- Jack, the giant killer um, for Brian Singer, which was, uh, you know, another fantasy film. Um, so let, let,
0: some- let's talk about that one. Yeah. Um- mm-hmm. They obviously have an art director, right? And that person yes. would call yeah. you and say, hey, make me some concept designs and whatnot?
1: Yeah, correct. The um, it Typically, it's a production designer who's responsible for everything that you see on screen. So they're sort of the head of the art department and, uh, you know, And they're in charge of everything from, you know, the sets and the things that have to be physically built to the things that are done digitally. Now, they'll work with a concept design supervisor or, you know, visual effects supervisor who handles the nuts and bolts of that. But it all is sort of funneled through the production
0: designer. But so when they come to you, they go, hey, we're going to make this movie. Um, We need some concepts of such and such. Like what what guidelines do they give you? Because it, it, ultimately, it, it's, you know, they have an idea, but it it's like kind of cooking. I'm a chef, right? So, yeah. Yeah. you know, I have, I make menus, but ultimately the end product comes from the people I ask to do the work. So...
1: True. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. you know, it's funny because there's like, in concept design, there's a lot of stuff that is taken verbatim from the work, or sometimes it's sort of based on the work. Um, and, you know, that can depend on a number of different factors. Um, You know, like on dream girls, for example, I do recall an instance where I was designing this 1960s Miami club and Eddie, it was a Eddie Murphy performance. And, um, you know, we had lunch with the extras that day on set and they're all dressed up in 60s and stuff And uh, when they shot that scene. But I remember at the last minute, you know, I had to wrap this up and it was just sort of missing something. And at the last minute I decided to add these big sort of um, pink dome lights in the back of the room um and just you know quickly drew in a couple and it was off and then i think it was about three or four days later we were on set and took a peek in that room and as soon as we opened the door and walk in there are those pink lights above me um you know that i just sort of at the last minute thought to add in to to add uh you know some some interest and it can be like that in concept design. Yeah. You, know, you really never know what's going to make it to the, to the screen. Um, in fact, I just finished a job recently for AMC called the Mayfair witches, um, which is an Anne Rice yeah. story. And, uh, I did a, a quite a bit of concept design work for that show and to see, you know, some of these sets, the way they came out in real life were pretty verbatim from the artwork.
0: And, and I'm guessing like on a project like that, she's obviously a pro- prolific writer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're reading the source material and you're just like uh, ingesting it and kind of like letting it meld. And then <laughs> I
1: I wish I, I, sometimes I do get to read the scripts and, and uh, familiarize myself with the material as much as possible, but not always. And uh, yeah, on that particular one, I had, I was working very closely with the production designer uh, you know, who had some ideas and then, you know, it was, it was a bit of a collaboration. You bring, you know, some ideas to the table and, you know, they have a certain idea about what they need because they're, they're usually very familiar with the source material.
0: I seen on a website somewhere, you did some concept work for the mummy three.
1: Uh, yeah, correct.
0: How, uh, and now is that the Brandon Fraser one back in 2007?
1: Yes, that was the, uh, the one with Jet Li, yeah, uh, yeah. set in ancient China, um,
0: Mm -hmm. again i I, i'm i guess i'm going to transition a little bit more meaning um you know i've seen stuff like your tool painting and on your instagram and then obviously your personal stuff where it's like some like a lot of great great landscape western style and just these fantastical uh you know like the one i saw for the mummy three which was kind of just like this I forget how, uh, I'm not good at explaining that's why I edit but uh <laughs> um it was like this structure and in kind of like a, a, a jungle kind of but not really um I'm just curious on how do you attack something with that has no reference I guess because that's kind of the stuff that that boggles my mind because again on your Instagram there's like a photo of you in the water uh, painting like this little island and boat and whatnot and you obviously have a reference right and but then there's these things that you paint over here that have zero reference and you just have to create them in your mind
1: yes um i mean (laughs) I, i would say the the best thing is just having a a visual library, um, that you build up over time. So, you know, I've spent years drawing f- from live models, uh, you know, figure drawing, uh, portrait painting, things like that, landscape painting out of doors, um, and, you know, getting a sense of how light behaves and, you know, the structure of things. And, uh, you know, as a concept design artist, you have to have kind of a broad range of interests. Um, so, you know, asking questions and being curious is also a, a a huge bonus in that line of work, um, where you know if you're asked to design something and you're not terribly familiar with it, it's a great excuse to do a deep dive, you know, yeah. and and <laughs> learn the difference between you know cumulus and and cumulus stratus clouds, and you know, <laughs> uh, go you know go in depth in in a in an area and uh, learn about it, and through that then you can start to uh, use your imagination more and use it as a springboard. And, uh, you know, a, a great trick for doing concept design is combining things, combining different worlds. Um, so you, you're taking something as a starting point and then bringing in a, a different, either a different technology or a different shape language or, you know, some other different idea that, that sits in tangent to it. Um, that answers the question. of course,
0: hundred percent. It makes perfect sense. You know, um, what you're saying is you're using your accumulative knowledge of your whole career, right? Uh, yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, ultimately, yeah, I mean, that's honestly a really fun part of the job is, uh, you know, it's, it's great to, you know, I, I've also in the past three or four years done a lot of, um, stage design for a company and, uh, you know, they'll come to you one day and just be like, okay, we got to do an underwater theme." Awesome. I mean, you know, spend a week or two doing nothing but underwater design ideas, you know, deep diving on coral, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and just having fun. I mean, that's really kind of at the end of the day, you know, I would say my goal and my role is to, have fun uh, and do stuff that I would get excited about. I, that's always a good barometer for me is if it's uh, visually interesting, if it's something that I'm excited about, then other people will typically be excited too. And that's definitely how I approach the tool poster, you know, uh, being familiar with the the size of the band and the art and fan base. You know, if, if you think about that stuff too much, you, you can get pretty overwhelmed. I mean, if I think about, you know, some of my commercial work, and who it's going to, you know, my, my work's been in front of Spielberg. It's been in front of JK Rowling. It's been in front of Brad Pitt. It's been in front of all these, you know, huge people. Sure. And if you sit there and think about that, you know, Oh my God, Spielberg is going to see this tomorrow, you'll psych yourself out, you know, hundred oh, <laughs> percent. So I try not to worry about that stuff. You know, my, my objective has always been, you know, let me control the things that I can control and trust my training and my skills and my experience and do the best job I can and not worry about the things I can't control, like how other people are going to interpret my work or if they're going to like it or not. And, well, I mean, you, you know, I was pleased. You,
0: you've obviously, first, like you said earlier, you've done the work, you know, you've, you've taken the deep dives that you've needed to take into, um, you practice, like you said, uh, you, you can paint for 10 hours and then you relax by painting. I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. that doesn't create somebody that doesn't create an, uh, an unconfident worker in my opinion that just creates somebody who's getting more and more confident and more and more skilled which again leads me somewhere i had this written down uh somewhere it was written about you that you were a master painter and it's like now they're talking to you i'm like yeah yeah i get it (laughs) that's that's kind of probably what a master would do if he was good you know at anything sword fighting uh i don't know why that came to mind but Uh, anything (laughs) anything in general (laughs) chef it's true you know you you have to put what is it 10,000 hours to be you know basically good at something
1: I I agree with that yeah and I mean you know far beyond that point by now but uh, you know I heard an adage at one point that was just you know it's a thing of beauty to watch a professional at work and uh, I agree with that it can be anything Uh, you know just that dedication that familiarity with a is something i i love and you know you you certainly would understand that as a chef you know there's a great deal of of art and uh, a borderline obsession that you have to have to do something at a high level
0: i'm not that good i'm just
1: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> sure. i'm a,
0: i'm kind of a, like if you're here at painting uh i'm somewhere near I'm trying to think of somebody who's not very good at painting when it comes to a chef. (laughs) I'm Um, going to change it up a bit. Explain to me uh, what you did for NASA. I'm a big space Uh, guy.
1: Okay. So, um, yeah, I was contacted by one of their engineers, um, a few years back that was designing a, um, an eel like robot, um, so, okay, let me back up a little.
0: I have the so, picture right here, first of all. <laughs> okay, So okay. I'm looking at at least one of them.
1: Yeah, you can see it on my Instagram if, yeah, yeah, if yeah. anybody's curious. But, um, yeah, so basically, you know, they they designed these different space missions. And this particular one was one of the, you know, key places in our solar system that they're looking for uh, life, extraterrestrial life, is on the moon of Enceladus, which is uh, one of Saturn's moons. Now, the reason it's so attractive is... It has a ice shell and a liquid ocean beneath that. Now, granted, it's very, very far away from the sun, but here on Earth, there are these uh, thermal vents at the bottom of the ocean that generate heat. Um, So these you know these people are absolutely brilliant i had a chance to go to jpl and sit down with some of the premier scientists you know that specialize in saturn that specialize in extraterrestrial biology and these engineers and these people are just so inspiring and so brilliant and um you know they explained all this to me that they want to design this robot that can basically burrow you know they'll they'll send a, a spacecraft into orbit that will launch down to the surface of the moon and then deploy this other robot and these are intelligent robots because of the distance they have to be able to think on their own they have to be able to avoid danger and you know in a sense be able to in, intelligently survive um because you know by the time the radio transmitter transmission would go back and forth these things could already be lost So, um, you know, this would essentially burrow down through the ice. uh, I don't know, I think a a couple, two, three kilometers down and be able to probe the liquid ocean for signs of life. And they they have all this different scientific equipment on board. Um, So, when I was asked to do that, you know, they basically wanted to see what this might look like in the environment and, you know, get a sense of place that, you know, they can use. To promote, to raise funds, to you know put forth um, the idea to their board, you know, and these are you know five six billion dollar missions. If not so more. having so having you know going into these meetings armed with something that's you know visually inspiring can be a real advantage, um, you know, and in a way I I sort of likened it to. The creation of the national parks, when um, you know Thomas Moran was this painter back in the 19th century, who was commissioned by, um, if I'm remember, trying to remember correctly, I think he was actually commissioned by the oil companies, uh, or no, or gold prospectors. I think that wanted the land that the national parks were were created on, and he went out and did all these beautiful paintings, brought them back to Congress. And immediately after they uh, instituted our national park system to preserve these places just based on the beauty of these paintings. And uh, it felt a little like that, you know, sort of trying to show people the potential of a great and historic mission like this. And, uh, you know, ever since then, I've been telling people that I helped NASA look for aliens.
0: (laughs) I would say the exact same thing. (laughs) It seems like a big responsibility because When when I was reading about this photo or this painting, I was trying to figure out, okay, what, how, why does NASA need it? And I mean, you obviously explained it perfectly. They're going to use it for promotional stuff and whatnot. And did you have to sit down with a scientist uh, who who would potentially build this and him explain to you, like, we're going to have these rings and it's going to look like this and it's going to have this hook as a tail and. Uh, yes,
1: yes. I got to tour, you know, the the facilities where they build these things. And, you know, I'm delighted to say that a robot workshop at JPL is exactly like you think it would be. There are robot parts all over the place. I was stepping over gears <laughs> and, and, you know, wires. And uh, these guys are just having a blast in their workshop, uh, you know, coming up with problems and then solving them. And, uh, you know, honestly, it was one of, the, you know, a real career highlight for me to to be working with those guys and to spend some time over there and to be, a, you know, a witness to what goes into these space missions. Um, just, you know, a real treat for me. I, uh,
0: the, the most about the most I know about AI right now is GBT. So I'm trying to conceptualize like, all right, that's that's the top of the game that I know of. What must they have to where they can send a NASA space eel into Saturn's moon and it can just calculate, you know, movements, textures, everything to survive on its own? Uh, All I can say is we don't know shit about what they got.
1: It's yeah, it's remarkable. And I mean, you know, you have to when you're on campus there, you have to have, you know, a, a certain level of security clearance and you have to have an escort on campus at all times. And, uh, you know, it's funny because like at, at one point I had to break from a meeting and I had to be escorted to the restroom just to take a leak by one. You know, this guy that has awesome. two two PhDs and the whole time, you know, he's talking to me about, you know, biology and you know plate tectonics on you know saturn and their
0: gravitational <laughs> this and um, you know it was it was so cool <laughs> that
1: is awesome uh, you're like thanks
0: thanks for watching me pee though no no, that's uh that's insane to tell you the truth again though what kind of responsibility did you feel making that and and again c- concept and design i mean you got saturn there you got the moons in the background you're trying to um, like these people have a goal and they come to you and they're like make it look cool so we can sell it
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that phrase because I think make it look cool is probably, you know, over 20 years now I've been doing this. That's probably my number one job description and uh you know, it answers a lot of questions and it it checks a lot of boxes because, you know, I have to, you know, obviously I have to go down the checklist and they go, "Okay, we want we want to see the the robot, we want to see the lander, we want, you know, it'd probably be good to see Saturn in the background for orientation." And the rest, you, you just get to have fun, like make it look cool, you know. And and if it does, then people get excited. And, you know, that's that's a hugely rewarding part of the job.
0: I'm going to call this episode Make It Look Cool.
1: <laughs> that <laughs> I, would be fitting. Yeah. um,
0: You know what you also made look cool is a couple of Magic the Gathering cards.
1: Excellent segue. That was perfect.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I used to collect uh, Magic the Gathering back in the day. Uh, Uh I was kind of a contrarian when I was a little kid and everybody was collecting Pokemon and I was like, nah, fuck that. I'm getting magic. The gathering, um,
1: way more fun, right? They were just, you know what? They Uh just
0: looked way cooler. Um, can you tell, again, I'm going to ask a bunch of weird little things that I could find about you. So, uh, um, that's a huge game. Uh, I don't know how many people they get to paint those cards, but I mean, they have a great, crazy following i'm sure probably crazier than tool following uh, yeah
1: huge huge campaign uh magic and uh you know wizards of the coast was a great company i did a lot of work with them um you know or fairly early on in my career um and i was doing i think i was doing some book covers for some of their um their fantasy fiction and, uh, you know, through those channels, if, you know, it, again, I think some of the best advice I ever got in my life was one of my professors in school who just simply said, good work opens doors. And, uh, you know, I was um, I took out an ad, you know, around 2005 in an illustration publication. Art director saw it. She contacted me to do some book covers for Wizards of the Coast. I did a good job. Then, you know, another department reached out to me to do some package Uh, artwork for their their iconic red dragon sculpture they sent me one of the sculptures it's over there um and then um i don't think you can see it but uh yeah and then yeah the the art director at uh, magic said hey saw some artwork you did for us we're wondering if you want to do a couple cards absolutely and the rest is history
0: do they tell you like okay this is what this person's uh powers are going to be
1: Uh. (laughs) yes yeah for that i mean those are specific characters for you know the as you know and and i mean i've done also some work for dungeons and dragons uh publications and stuff for them as well and those as you know are very like you know okay this character has this skill so you play that card and it's for a certain purpose so it has to convey that idea
0: so uh, some the reason i'm kind of interested about that card is you know it's this big yeah right uh how big was the original painting?
1: Um, Usually everything is done a bit larger um, or or at size. Um, so that, you know, if, if you do something slightly larger, it reduces down nice and tight. You get into trouble if you go the other way and do something tiny and then have to, you know, blow it up for yeah. a, a billboard or, a, you know, a bus kiosk or something like that. What uh,
0: you're obviously painting all the time and I'm sure you do. Uh big, small, yada yada yada. Um what what is your most comfortable um dimensions?
1: Oh well I you know that really depends on the job. And uh, you know, I'm <laughs> It's funny cuz I'm I'm probably almost 100% digital for commercial work. Um it's just kind of the way that things work and it's uh you know it's it's faster and I adopted that because you know I can do 5 jobs digitally in the time it would take me to do one traditionally. And then uh you know most clients are so used to working with the digital format that uh they expect a certain amount of changes and editability. And it's a lot easier to do digitally. So size is less of an issue. You know, if you have a powerful enough computer, you can just res it way up. And then, you know, that covers a lot of bases. Keep things layered in Photoshop, you know, so that you can tweak them later if you need to or swap a head out. Like, I think a couple years ago, I was um, asked to do the um, IMAX poster for the Jungle Cruise uh, film. And, um, you know, that that film came out on like July 30th. And I think it was July 6th. That uh, both Emily Blunt and The Rock had final say on their likeness, and The Rock's camp came back and said, "We want a whole new head." So I had, <laughs> yeah, on, on the sixth, so I had I basically repainted him overnight, had it off the next day, and you know that thing was out in theaters a, a few weeks later.
0: Um, I, ha- I have that written down. Uh, literally, the question I have written down is, "What was it like to paint The Rock's face?"
1: Uh, really fun actually you know i mean that was a a a really really fun job um you know as a southern california native i grew up going to disneyland from the you know time i could remember and you know uh that was that was a lot of fun to do you know to do that in that sort of classic 80s style and uh you know hot adventure
0: palette and colors and textures kind of like an Um, enzo uh scotty guy one kind of what was the rock's original head look like? Was it the same? Was he doing the same side stare and hat or?
1: Um, it was a little, it was a little more passive, and I I actually approved of the change. I think it made the poster a lot stronger. He looks a little tougher. He looks a little more rocky, uh, for lack of a better term. <laughs> but <laughs> I gotcha. um, you know, he looked a little passive in the other one. Uh, but um, yeah, really really fun job for me.
0: Um, let me let me. Let me re- reference my pictures I was too busy staring at the rocks giant head uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding I uh I actually enjoyed that movie um talk about your band with the uh, Mr. Cheatham.
1: yeah uh, yeah well we're we're called Del Toro and um you know that band sort of formed out of us uh being students um over 20 years ago um, Sean and myself and and our good friend John Paul Altamirano is also an art center student. And um, you know, we would get together and paint after class. Uh, you know, we'd take turns sitting for each other or having friends and people sit for us. And on your breaks, you know, if there was a guitar around, we'd just start strumming around and uh and playing and then um you know i i've been in bands my whole life uh you know since i before i started painting um what interesting. so you know we always just had a great time playing together and then those guys actually formed a band together and had you know different sort of guitar uh bass player and drummer and then i sort of came into the picture a bit later um but, you know, I was around those guys at the, you know, the inception of them just sort of writing songs together and uh, it was a, a natural fit for us.
0: What, uh, what yeah. instrument do you play in that band? I play bass. Okay. Um, yeah. It'd be, do you guys ever do any shows?
1: Not lately. <laughs> it's It's been quite a while. Um, you know, everybody's really busy and, uh, you know, it'd be fun to play again. I mean, we, we've, we've definitely done some really fun gigs, you know, I've opened for bad religion and, awesome. um, you know, some stuff like that. Um, I know the connection there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're friends. They're yeah, friends. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah here's a big question do you have any um like superstitions or rituals that you do before painting
1: um i'm not a real superstitious guy but ritual would be um you know aside from the usual like coffee and all that stuff um i, I like to have music playing while i'm working um and you know i tend to break up my work in two different phases one would be the conceptual phase and one the production phase. And it's it's even more important in the conceptual phase to have you know something on that is invoking a certain mood. Um so if it's you know let's say a client project, I'm doing you know, something for you know sci-fi or something fantasy or whatever, I'll put on you know something more ambient. Um or you know, if I'm working on my own stuff, um, you know, it can also just really help set the mood. And then, uh, equally in, in the production phase, there's nothing like, you know, coming on and just putting some up-tempo rock or something on, you know, flipping the studio lights on and, and getting to work, you know, because like I said, I'm a bass player, I'm, I'm very rhythm oriented and, and, uh, you know, sometimes I'll find myself making brush marks in the rhythm with the music and, nice. <laughs> you know, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> but it helps a lot, you know, it helps, you know, from the inspiration and, and ideas to just physically, you know, keeping my energy up and, and getting to work. I think I heard David Lee Roth one time in an interview say like, you know, the the song I get out of the car on has to be a good one. Otherwise, you know, everything can go to hell. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So he'll sit there and wait in the car until the I right song. Okay. Now I can go be David Lee Roth.
0: And knowing that I have to finish certain songs too. Like oh, yeah. I can't get out of the car unless unless it's you know a handful of specific songs i'm like i can't i can't leave yet
1: (laughs) so Uh, i'm very yeah i'm very sensitive to to music so it it plays a big role in my work habits
0: i got a couple more if you don't mind um what's the most unexpected source of inspiration that uh that you've had for you know creating art
1: Wow. That's a good question. Um, I don't know if I've ever thought about that, uh, unexpected source. Um, well, here's one you might appreciate, but, uh, I think it was my, my wife that really connected me to the artistry in cooking. Um, and you know, I've always loved to eat, (laughs) but who doesn't, I think I, you know, was it was really it was probably through cocktails, like just making a really nicely layered cocktail where you can taste all of the different ingredients and, you know, just understanding the creativity that happens in in food. Um, Now, I don't know if that leads totally back to your question about painting, But, uh, it's your answer. (laughs) So yes, I don't know. There's a, there's a real, um, like, you know, we covered before, you know, there's this idea of just watching a professional at work. And, um, I'm, I'm very much about that. You know, it can, it can be from just a well-made bar of soap that you appreciate. You go, okay, this isn't just some generic thing. This is, you know, special feels extra. feels a a little, you know, a little elevated, um, and I, I look for those things all around me, um, you know, can get us in trouble sometimes, you know, when you you, you reach for the little higher shelf uh, bottle of scotch or, you know, yeah, <laughs> better ingredients, you know, I'm definitely I was raised, uh, you know, to, to, you know, buy quality, you know, buy the best tools you can afford and take care of them. That sort of philosophy. I'm going to take so. that as a, I'll, I'll take that as an answer. That's a great answer. Um, yeah, yeah I, I guess that's that, that is sort of an inspiration that I look to is, uh, you know, trying to to maintain a certain level of of quality in, in just my life in general and the things I around me that I'm inspired by.
0: Have you ever surprised yourself by uh, going in a certain direction, especially when it comes to like what you like to paint personally? Where you're like, oh shit, I didn't think about that.
1: Um. Well, I mean you know, by nature of my job, I, I do a lot of different stuff and, you know, so there's, there's always an opportunity to kind of, um, you know, go in depth into a direction that you weren't expecting. Um, you know, like I I think I mentioned previously that I've done a lot of stage designs, um, and that, you know, is a real nice blend in my love of music and art. Um, you know, actually these designing these performance spaces, um, and, uh, you know, cause there's, I use, I use metaphor a lot. And sometimes when I teach, um, you know, it's a great tool to turn people on to just a different way to think about things. Um, for example, you know, um, you know, like in, in art and music, we share a lot of the same vocabulary. You know, you, you talk about composition of, of a musical piece, a composition of a painting, uh, note, tone, ideas about rhythm, um these are all you know interchangeable vocabulary between art and music and um you know sometimes I'll identify like a, a if I'm teaching you know find a student that go like oh you listen to music and you go okay so like you know imagine you know right now you're painting a guitar solo you wouldn't you wouldn't paint all the same notes at the same intervals, you know, dee, 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 dee. you would have some big long strokes and you would have some, you know, shorter succinct ones. Okay. Just like you were crafting a, you know, a guitar solo or a piano concerto or something, you know, big whole notes and then get into, you know, a, a faster sequence of notes to create mm-hmm. interest and add variety. Um, so I, I, really I like talk that. about things like that a lot.
0: I really like that. I didn't uh, cause I don't, I don't, I've been dabbling here and there with uh, drawing and painting and doodling and cause I've never been that person. I've been in bands my mm-hmm. whole life. You know, I can, mm-hmm. I, was, I can cook, I'm a filmmaker, but I could, ne- I've never been able to translate uh, pen to paper
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, or, or, you know, brush to canvas. Uh, but I've never quite heard it explained like that. And uh, it's kind of profound.
1: I think it, it it's a source of breakthrough for a lot of you know novices that are that are trying to learn because the thing that we constantly fight and even you know 20 years plus doing this our brains want to tend to make things Uh, in a pattern and make things samey so if you're painting like you know clouds or something there's this tendency to make all of the swirls the same sort of shape and size and you have to constantly be working against that to add interest and add variety to things another analogy i use is um you know one of like filmmaking or storytelling so you know again let's say i'm outside and i'm looking at a landscape before me i'll try to ask myself okay well who's the who's the star here who's giving the monologue right now because it, it sets up a certain hierarchy where everything else dissipates and supports that everything falls off from there so you know i might think about you know what would be my scenic backdrop what would be my my supporting you know extras and and supporting cast and you know if i had a, a team of lighting designers at my disposal where would i tell them to point the light and things like that and um you know the musical analogy is very much the same you know who where's your where's your soloist here where is your your brass or your you know your timpanis and and set it up that way so that you have a um a point of interest and a a natural hierarchy to your to your work
0: wow I'm, i'm gonna ponder that uh for, for my own benefit. And if you're listening to, I think you should really take in what he just said.
1: Um, <laughs> well, I mean, also cooking would be an, another great analogy, you know, when yeah, you're, yeah.
0: start with
1: the idea that spice enhances a meal. You don't make a meal out of spice. No, right? no, no,
0: no. Uh, <laughs> I, I completely understand what you're saying and, yeah. you know, crafting something, uh, you know, from, from a specific point outwards.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, Another off-the-wall question. If you could never use a specific color again, what color would that be?
1: Um. Does black count? Uh,
0: I, I guess.
1: <laughs> <Say it. laughs> if you had to choose one <laughs> color to never
0: use in, in any of your paintings ever again, uh, which yeah. one and why?
1: It would be black uh, because two reasons. You, you can mix black, so there's a cheat. Um, but
0: <laughs> Loophole.
1: But, you know, mixing black uh, is probably a better way to go anyway. Um, You know, say you're mixing a black from a warm, dark color and a cool, dark color, then you, you have control over that dark range of value. So I can actually shift it chromatically from, you know, a warm, dark to a cool, dark where needed. And it's much more interesting than just a flat black that is one note. And you might not even notice that when you're looking at a work, but, uh, you know, those little subtle things can add up to a lot in, you know, in the culmination of a, of a work.
0: You answered that way too easily. (laughs) (laughs) keep going. Um, any fictional character that hasn't been, um, painted before or used, uh, who would you like to, uh, to do? Or even if they have, what's, what's one fictional character that you would like to interpret yourself?
1: Um, well, let's see. That's a, that's a good one. Um, I'm, you know, I'm. it's funny cause I'm doing a, a show this coming June with, uh, Sean Cheatham and, uh, his girlfriend, Kate Zembrano and my wife, Sonia Palencia, we're doing a show in, in Santa Monica and, um, I'm, Thinking about, I don't know if it's going to come to fruition, but right now I'm thinking about taking uh, Albrecht Dürer's Night Death and the Devil etching from like 1512 or something and doing a contemporary or more of a Western version of that. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question, but sort of reinterpreting a figure from history and and uh, from another artist from, from my own use. What was that called again? Night? The Night Death and the Devil. The Night, Death, and
0: the Devil. All
1: right. By Doer. D-O-E-R. D-U-E-R.
0: D-U-E-R. D-R. Yeah. yeah. Doer <laughs> E-R.
1: Um,
0: what's the uh, strangest uh reaction you've seen from somebody else to some of your work?
1: Oh, um I don't know about the strangest. I'll give you a good one. Um I did a Some years ago, I did a uh, project with um, that Ozzy Osbourne was uh, involved with, and it was this fashion line for um, Black Sabbath doing some, you know, jewelry and some clothing and such. And, um, you know, Ozzy came down to the opening and I had this great moment of watching Ozzy look at my painting of Ozzy and then looking at me. And looking you know back in this sort of triangle and that was pretty surreal and they go you know they said Ozzy this is Jeff he did the painting of you and he looks at me and he goes well you did a great fucking job
0: (laughs) I guess that's all you can ask for yeah Yeah.
1: and then we got a picture and he gave me like this you know bear hug around the neck and uh yeah it it was pretty great is that painting online anywhere um i don't know but um i did i did to you know go back to your previous question i did get to design iron man for that for that campaign. Um and I had a lot of, you know, a lot of free reign on that and came up with this idea. I don't know if it's some years ago now, so I don't know if it's around, but um, you know, yeah, that was uh, you know, also a little bit of pressure.
0: <laughs> right. Like yeah, and we're not talking about Iron Man for Marvel Comics. We're talking about Ozzy Osborne Iron Man, like a yeah like your own yeah we're talking like your about own Black Sabbaths, yeah,
1: iron bloke. As geezer butler referred to him an Right. <laughs> uh,
0: that's pretty awesome. I have to find that one as well. Um, oh, of course. Uh, we haven't really talked about. Uh, you're really big um, into this Western tone, right? Yes. Um, yeah. You and Sean, it seems like, uh, especially recently. How did that yeah. come about? Uh, what is it about, um, you know, the... American 1800s that, uh, speaks to you and, and, you know, these desert landscapes and old timey buildings and cowboys and whatnot. And
1: yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, I mean, it's, a lot of it goes back to, you know, just early childhood. I, you know, a lot of fond memories of like my, you know, watching Western films, Clint Eastwood films with my dad, you know, like Sunday morning or something and uh, just sort of grew up with that around and then um where it really culminated was um about 11 years ago now my wife and I moved up to the mountains about an hour north of LA and uh we were on about 160 acre uh ranch property up here that sits up against the national forest so um we're you know very much in you know a rural area here um and it's it's a pretty unforgiving uh and and rough terrain out here and uh, you know, it's kind of just brought us into the those, you know, kind of frontier ideas about being self-reliant and, uh, you know, being in touch with your surroundings. Um, you know, we'll, my wife and I will go out and forage wild edibles here, wild onions and manzanita berries and things like that. Um, and, you know, that sort of working its way into our work and, uh, you know, just those ideas about isolation and, uh, you know, sort of personal fortitude and, and things like that. And then also just, you know, as a subject, there's a lot of Western art uh, being created today. It's it's a very sort of live and active um, genre. You've got the Masters of the American West show down at the Autry Museum here in LA every year. It was a big show. And, uh, you know, there the work there is a bit, um, there's a history and a tradition to it. Um, and you know we've always kind of felt like our you know like my ideas and and my take on it sit a bit outside of that. Um, and then you know Sean and his his girlfriend Kate moved up here about a about a year ago, year and a half ago. And uh, you know Sean and I have been collaborating on that type of work for years now because he's been coming up and visiting me here, you know, the whole time we've lived here, but with him and her kind of moving up here and experiencing the whole thing firsthand, we felt like it was a good time to put our, our forces together and kind of point our attention artistically at this subject and, uh, you know, kind of offering a little bit different take on it. And it's also something that is very, you know, um, very explicitly American. 100%. You know, the, the, the West. And, um, you know, there's a there's a fun idea there. And my take on it, I can't speak for the others, but my take on it is a bit more um, about the mythology. And, you know, almost from like, you know, my love of, of painting and, you know, that coming from Europe predominantly. And some of those ideas creeping into, well, what if this was done in the West? And that's why I bring up Durer, you know, as a as kind of an idea. Of, you know, what would an American take on that be like, you know, something that I can relate to. And, uh, you know, it also comes from just being a, a lover of the outdoors and spending a lot of my time, you know, here growing up and, and to this day, just loving nature and spending a lot of time outside.
0: I, uh, I really like the Western stuff. I, it wasn't until you said it, but you're right. It's, it's, it's very specific American, you know. Uh, I, you know, I'm mm-hmm. a little bit, I'm a little bit younger than you, so you know, I mean, I, I think I'm right at the generation before, right before the internet. So, like, I still have, you know, my grandfather's take. I have, I have like a bunch of his John Wayne stuff that that he gave me or I, I got after he passed. And you know, there's just this level of, uh, this is crude terms, but badass, <laughs> you know, and strength, even. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, just when it comes to the American West and yeah. uh, like you said, uh, applying classic techniques. And again, I don't I'm not, I don't know. I don't want to pretend like I know uh, the lingo when, when it comes to painters. But uh, I I can see the the uh, allure right from from a person like you.
1: Definitely, definitely. And also, you know, just the the personal connection with living in a you know, yeah. very rural space like this. It just puts you in a certain headspace. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun.
0: I live in the middle of the desert now. So uh, <laughs> it's a, I mean, a
1: desert too. it, you know, it evokes its own sure. thing. And I love that too, you know? Uh,
0: again, I have a couple more, just uh tool related band stuff that everybody, sure. that I ask everybody, um, you know, favorite tool song.
1: Oh, that's a tough one. Um, all right. I'll give you two. A- Adam's listening,
0: by the way. I'm just
1: kidding. <laughs> yeah. I'll it's give it for two different reasons. Um, the first one would be Intolerance. Uh, you know, first song off their first full-length album. When you hear that come on, it's do, like, do, you know, do, you're, do, in for, do, do, do. you're in for a good, you know, listening sesh. And it's just, that song is like a, a shot of adrenaline straight to the blood for me, man. I, I just love it. And, um, you know, they. I think they were playing it on the FI tour a couple times. I got to see them perform it live. Finally, it was just, you know, love that song. And then um, I I spent a lot of time listening to Fear Inoculum as well. And um, Invincible is a song that really stands out to me. And uh, for a couple of reasons, I just love the song. Um, I think it's a masterpiece. I think all of the members are sort of putting forth their best foot on that song. And uh, I got to watch Adam and Danny track the, the keyboard parts on that song. Um, which, you know, that is, uh, a pretty special memory when, uh, you know, every yeah. time I hear that yeah. song, you're like, I was there, comes, you know, yeah, we were, we were down in LA uh, for dinner and Adam was like, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to be in the studio tomorrow. If you want to swing by on your way out of town. Uh, yes. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> walked in and, uh, yeah. And I mean, next thing I know, I was sitting in evil Joe Bressi's, uh, chair at the console, and Adam was like, "Hey, could you play him the one we just finished?" And they they start playing, calling voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first time I heard that, yeah, I'm sitting in the at the mixing console with Adam, Danny, and my wife, all sitting on the couch behind me, you know, watching me listen.
0: Yeah, I've, I've <laughs> been know? I've been lucky enough to be to get to go there one
1: time. No, it's a cool little spot. It is actually one street over from the house I lived in when I was going to school. Um, so it's just, you know, I'm very, very familiar with that area I right around the corner from there.
0: <laughs> last, last one. Uh, I really dug this painting that you did, um, the, your Nirvana one, uh, and it just so happens to have a relation to tool as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's funny, you know, bringing all these up, I guess I have done quite a bit of work with, you know, music and musical artists. And, uh, you know, that one was a really fun show, Um, you know, was curated at the Sound Sound City Studios in Van Nuys, uh, the historic studios. And, um, you know, there was a group of us that were asked to participate. And, you we were all asked to choose a band that had recorded there and uh corinne was in the show and of course she did a painting of of adam for tool they recorded undertow there um our friend natalia um who's married to jay bentley from bad religion they had recorded there so she did bad religion uh my wife did a painting of dr john who had recorded there Mm -hmm. sean did um johnny cash sean cheetah who had recorded there and uh I, you know, again, I have this this thing of just going through the gusto, and I I went for Nirvana, who recorded Nevermind there, and uh, you know, got to to take a tour of the studio, and they're saying, yeah, you know, Neil Young slept in that closet, and this is where this is a control room where you know Kurt played something in the way on his acoustics, you know, sitting cross-legged on the floor. And That's my favorite like a song. Very, a then- very sacred and special place, and uh, you know, so I, I kind of went for it, you know, knowing it was a big. a a big album for that studio and a big part of their history. And, uh, you know, so I have this tendency to like, you know, jump into things and then go, Oh shit. You know, I gotta figure out how to pull this off. That's how you do it. I don't care who you are. That's how you do it. Yeah, yeah. It was like I don't uh, there's um uh one Figure it out pioneers, later. Let's fucking jump one in. of the pioneers of trance music is this guy Brian Transelli. He goes by BT and uh in 2005 he hit me up and he goes, "Hey, um you know, I'm looking for somebody to do these like animations for all the different songs on this album. You know, would you be interested in that and have you ever done anything like that before?" And I didn't answer the, have you done anything like that before part? I just said, yeah, I'd be interested. (laughs) And then, you know, started calling up people and go like, hey, dude, do you know motion effects? Can, you know, can we pull this off? (laughs) So that, you know, going for Nirvana was a bit like that. And, um, you know, I, I I didn't want to depict the band and I didn't want to do anything too on the nose. Uh, I wanted to sort of invoke a, a feeling. And the more I thought about that record, the more I realized, you know, the the thing that made that thing special was how, you know, they expected it to maybe sell 50,000 copies and it sold millions. And it was just really scooped up by the fans. And, you know, it really connected with the average person. It was accessible in a way that, you know, a lot of punk rock had never been before by these, you know, pop melodies and, and, you know, he's talking about some pretty intense stuff. So I wanted to do a painting that was focused more on, you know, the, the, the mood at the time. And, you know, that album came out when I was like, you know, 15, I think it was like my first month in high school, you know, when that came out. Um, So it was pretty indelible, you know, uh, time and and ideas for, for my generation and my, my memory. So, you know, I had done this painting. It was basically a, a mosh pit as viewed from the stage. So, you know, you've got these, these bouncers down in front, you know, there's a lot of motion to the piece, a lot of tumbling, a lot of you know people spilling over each other. There's this guy in in the front that's like punching through the the barrier in the front and um, you know it's it's more symbolic. it's he's not you know it's not like actually punching through, yeah, yeah. It, but it's it's designed and depicted in a way that is about more about the mood and a, about a feeling. Did you and, have any uh, reference for that?
0: Like, or did you
1: just um, go, did You just jump in? Did you just go take did, a picture no, of somebody you watching
0: know what or what, What's going on here?
1: <laughs> well, once I came up with the idea, what I did was I, um, I, I got their concert film from, uh, from Seattle. It was like their big return back home from, you know, this, this huge success that had become. And, and uh, so I, I got this, this concert film and I just started pausing the scenes that were taken on the crowd. And I found all these like, weird uh, distortions in the, in the video. Um, and I just started, you know, taking those as cues and, and doing little sketches of some of the, some of the distortions and applying that to this idea that I had about, you know, this kind of swirling mass of people and bodies. Uh,
0: I think you just answered a previous question there as well with, you know, oh,
1: unsuspected inspirations, uh, Yeah, yeah unexpected <laughs> inspirations,
0: you know, uh, poor frame rate is what you call that.
1: Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. definitely. Yeah. I found these weird, you know, just these weird juxtapositions between frames of film. And, uh, you know, it just worked perfectly for my needs. I have more, but I feel like that's the best place to
0: stop. I mean, how does it get <laughs> any better than that? um, <laughs> jeff can you uh tell people where they can find your stuff and you know i don't know how much you sell online or what, what your deal like that is but uh you know if you people want to check you out where they go and and all that
1: yeah sure well i have a um a website it's just jeffnitrop.com uh last name is n-e-n-t-r-u-p and uh um you know mostly all of my fine artwork on there um uh, you know, more of my commercial stuff, you know, a lot of it is NDA and, and, different client work. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm more proud of the stuff that I have full ownership over. Uh, so that's most of the stuff you'll see on my site. Um, not that I'm not proud of my commercial work. I am, it's just a, you know, it comes from a little bit different place. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm on Instagram under Nentopia. And uh you know i'll I'll be posting more there soon as this show that uh, I'm doing with Sean Cheatham starts to come to fruition and um and that's gonna be
0: a western based show
1: yeah yeah it's kind of a you know our our vision of do you have a name for shop. it yet we don't no
0: uh I wish I had a good one <laughs> off the top of my head <laughs> um
1: Thank you Chris all right great yeah. Thanks. Great Sorry, my camera's
0: here and you're here. So the whole, I forget that you don't, like, hi. Hi. Hi, <laughs> oh, hey man.
1: There
0: we are. <laughs> right? Thank you, Jeff, so much. My pleasure,
1: man. Great Bye. meeting you, Chris. Bye. Take care.
0: Uh-huh. Spiral Out podcast is produced by me, your host, Chris West, edited by me, researched by me. Uh, everything is pretty much just done by me. Uh, go to our website, spiraloutpod.podbean.com. Follow us on Instagram at spiral underscore out underscore pod. Facebook, Spiral Out Podcast. And again, if you want to see some of the images associated with this episode, click the link in the show notes and... It'll take you there. Again, thank you for listening. Spiral out. Pod dismissed. Wait, that's another show.